0: To keep your sex life good, especially in a long-term relationship, you need to be able to get along well outside of bed, but you need to be able to really invest in your sex life, make the time for it to happen and have some of those really honest conversations about here's what makes sex really good for me. Or here's, here's something new and interesting that I would actually kind of be down for trying if you would be okay with it. And to be able to have those sometimes very difficult, vulnerable conversations so that you don't wind up with, as you know, Robin Williams had this awesome line 20 years ago. And I, still love it where he said you know i don't understand this big deal about same-sex marriage because like anybody who's been married for a while knows it's all the same sex anyway <laughs> right so like that's what you don't want is right. the same boring
1: repetitive sex like boring is painful with adhd
0: yeah exactly so you know a bit of innovation and variety i think is a good thing
1: adhd rewired episode 289 this is the podcast for those of us with really good intentions and a slightly wandering attention. I'm Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker by training and a coach by design. I'm your host and I have ADHD. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community. We are wired for connection and you are not alone. Go to ADHDRewired.com to learn how you can join us in our free secret Facebook group. Get additional resources for every episode, including links to any resources we mentioned on today's show you can support us on patreon sign up for our email newsletter you can request podcast postcards to distribute to your clients and support groups and you can learn all about our intensive online video-based coaching and accountability groups you can do all of this at our website adhdrewired.com we know that starting is the hardest part so let's get started Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. Today's guest is Ari Tuckman. Ari is a psychologist, certified sex therapist, author, speaker, and ADHD expert. He has given more than 350 presentations across America and in nine other countries. His fourth book, ADHD After Dark, Better Sex Life, Better Relationship was just published. His more attention, less deficit podcast has more than 100 episodes and more than 2 million downloads. And I don't think has been updated in a while. Ari. It has not. Oh man. I, I like listening to your show. So I'm kind of, you know, I always give you shit about that. Uh, yep. This is Ari's fifth time coming on the podcast and third time coming on to talk about something that has clearly been on his mind for years, sex, relationships, and ADHD. When he's not talking sexy, you can find Ari in a mosh pit at a nearby punk show. Ari, right, welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> it's always good to talk to you.
0: It is always great to talk to you as well.
1: It's it's always fun and I like, know someone well enough that I could kind of take some liberties on the introduction.
0: Right. <laughs> and give them a hard time. That's always fun.
1: So, uh, you know, it makes, makes my guests feel really comfortable. Uh, right. So the problem is I can't say anything
0: you said is untrue. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> Have you been to any good shows lately?
0: Actually, I have. Yeah. What, what have you been uh, to? Well, Roberto Olivardia, who I'm sure has been on the show as well, yes. went and spent an awesome day in New York City. We saw Bad Religion, who sounded phenomenal, like 30 years you know, later, after 30 years of action. And this great old punk band from Boston called The Explosion, who are back again doing a few shows.
1: Cool. I actually saw Bad Religion open for Pearl Jam in 1995 at Soldier Field. Wow. So I think they were just kind of getting out there at that point. Nice. So I have to ask, so what, what makes you want to dive in so deep and get under the covers to explore sex with people with ADHD professionally? Sure. Um, Is mean, was, was it our good looks or charming personalities right. or uh, was it something else? It was all
0: of the above. So, you know, it, There's so much of of what we talk about in the world of ADHD has to do with like, let's say, the practical matters of life. So things like time management and prioritizing and remembering and organizing and and all that stuff. And that's totally important and relevant Um, to a lesser degree. We talk about relationships and how ADHD impacts someone's intimate relationships. So families and also, you know, romantic relationships, but Within that relationship part, we like don't talk about it. And, and the we in this case is the people who write books, the people who present. Um, I, my joke is, you know, nobody talks about it except for the million case studies that are done in every house that has a partner with ADHD, right? So, like, the world is talking about it. It's just not the the authors and presenters who are talking about it. And yet, it's this really big, important part. Of romantic relationships. And that, you know, sexual satisfaction and overall relationship satisfaction, they overlap like about two thirds. So that's, that's a lot. So what it means is if you're unhappy in your sex life, it's very likely to have a negative effect on your relationship satisfaction overall. And when one partner has ADHD, it's, you know, like it's more likely that that couple is going to have a few extra struggles. I mean, we've all got our stuff right, but a few extra struggles, so my sort of tagline is if you're struggling enough by day, it is that much more important that you do well by night.
1: you said that uh one third of uh of the issues around around sex was that was that what you said
0: or that um that sexual satisfaction and romantic satisfaction overlap by about two thirds. Meaning if you're happy in one, you're more likely to be happy in the other. If you're unhappy in one, you're more likely to be unhappy in the other. And that, that goes, that causality goes both ways.
1: What's the other third?
0: Um, you know, it's everything else. So, you know, for example, a couple could be doing very well in their relationship, um, but maybe not as well in their sex life. Maybe there are some, you know, desire discrepancies. Maybe there's some performance issues, you know, so sort of like erectile disorder or, you know, pain with intercourse or something. Um, or I don't know, maybe they've got like, you know they've taken their elderly mother in and that's interfering or they've got a young kid who's, you know, beating them to death at night, you know, so nobody's sleeping or, you know, so other things like that can certainly play a role.
1: When uh, we talked a few weeks ago, uh, we were talking about uh, one of the components of of some of your research has been looking at the differences between willingness and eagerness. And I thought that was a really sort of poignant, uh, uh, poignant categories of looking at uh, a couple's sort of attitude towards um, sex and, uh, and sexual behaviors.
0: Right. Yeah. And so I'm going to sort of steal a line from a sex therapist named Ian Kerner, who's written a number of books, including the big one is she comes first and how how is that spelled Ari? Right. It's, it's spelled the normal way, okay. but I think we can all guess at what it means. So um but you know he talks about these sort of windows of willingness meaning setting aside times in the week where one is willing to let it go in a sexual direction. So in other words it's it's a little bit looser than sort of scheduling sex as is sometimes recommended. So You know, the problem, if we're going to be rigid about it, the problem with scheduling sex is what if we get to Wednesday night, let's say and like, I'm just not in the mood, you know, I'm interested in hanging out with you, but I'm not, and I'm glad we can spend some time together, but I don't want to go there. Um, So it's not a commitment. It's not like an ironclad. You signed the contract. Now you must do this thing, but it's more like I'm, I'm willing to like, I'm, I'm making a commitment to be willing and that might be willing to try. You might be willing to be convinced, but it might also be to say, you know what, I'm actually not, not feeling it. And, you know, generosity, I think goes both ways here. On the one hand, the generosity of like, I'm willing to allow you to convince me, like I'm not dead, dead set against it, but I'm not really feeling it, but also generosity in I'm going to be generous and give you a pass. Like this, this isn't working right now. That's fine. We'll try again next time.
1: I mean, it seems that that the, the probably the core of all of these issues are communication, yeah, and with with adhd communication has a lot there 's a lot of challenges there. You know, there's the the challenge of, wait, you're not reading my mind or the, I didn't give you any context for the thing that I'm sharing with you right now, or I thought I swore I told you this thing that I clearly didn't actually tell you or the the reverse of that. I was told this thing that I swear you never told me, right? Right? Um, And so how, how do you address the core issues of communication in order to really get under the sheets? Yeah, well, and that's
0: absolutely right, because if you're not communicating well, if you're not getting along well in your relationship generally, um, that's going to have a negative effect on your willingness to be sexual with this person. Like we generally speaking, we don't like having sex with people. We're pissed at, you know, so um But the thing about communication is on the one hand, there is this sort of like factual level, if I'm going to, if I can coin a term here, which is exactly like you said, like it's this stuff of, you know, did you say that? Did you not say it? Did I remember what you said? You know, did I speak the words clearly and accurately, but there's a really big part of communication that's really more about emotion regulation. And in other words, if I say, you know, if I feel frustrated that you didn't load the dishwasher, let's say, and in and I sort of was calm about it and I said, you know what, I would really appreciate it if you could do it. We discussed this. You said you would do it. It just, it stresses me out when the kitchen's a mess. Like it totally takes me out of the mood and I just, it makes me think about everything on my to-do list and then I don't feel like having sex. Okay, calm, direct, honest. Or if I said... God damn it. You never fricking load the dishwasher. Why do I have to do everything around here? Okay. It's the same message essentially, but like the emotions behind it are completely different. You know, the first person might get laid that night. The second person's definitely not getting laid that night. Right? One you know? says I'm
1: annoyed if you're not doing the dishwasher. The other is I'm annoyed if you as a human being.
0: Yes, exactly. So, you know, good communication is about being able to be honest and direct and say, this is what I need. But it's also being able to manage our emotions well enough, whether we're the speaker or the listener, you know? So if I get a snippy thing about not having loaded the dishwasher or whatever, can I keep my head on recognize what the bigger, you know, see, okay, you know what, this is partially about me. It's partially about other stuff. And it's just, my partner is having a hard time or whatever. And bigger picture in mind, I'd kind of like to, us to spend some time together tonight. So I'm not going to shoot back and say, God damn it. You're always on my case. Why can't you just leave me alone for once? Or why does it always have to be your way? It's just dishes. Who cares? We'll deal with them tomorrow. Right again. Now, now not only are, are you not getting late tonight, you're not getting late tomorrow, you know? So, um, so like that's the, so easy for, for our couples with ADHD, because there are so many of these sort of like death by a thousand cuts kind of things yeah. That today's dishes in the so the fight about today's dishes are not about today's dishes. They're about today's dishes and yesterday's and the day before and the socks on the ground and the fact that you were supposed to pick up milk and you didn't and the fact that here we go again. So right, yeah.
1: So we know that with with ADHD, you know, it's it's one of these things where anybody can relate to like some of the symptoms of ADHD cause it's, you know, it's sort of, on mean, yeah. extreme end of, of being human. Um, yeah. so if, if ADHD is, it could be thought of extreme humanness, what is ADHD and sex? Uh, like what, how, what's no different than people without ADHD and what has, what has the research shown to pan out as, you know, there are actually some distinct differences, uh, in, in people with ADHD when it comes to intimacy and sex.
0: Right. So, you know, so this was this was part of the reason, you know, so my new book ADHD After Dark is based on this survey I did. And I got like 3,000 people to fill it out. So people who are in a relationship with one person with ADHD, one person without. So I looked at not only ADHD versus not, but I also I had to take gender into account because you can't lump together men and women with ADHD, men and women without, and then think it's just about ADHD, you know? So, um, so when I looked at men with ADHD versus men without women with ADHD versus women without, what I found in the survey was that across 12 questions that basically had something to do with sexual eagerness, meaning, you know, well it's sort of as it sounds but encompassing things like desired frequency for sex masturbation frequency porn use frequency self ratings of kinkiness um how quickly does someone become turned on um you know interest in consensual non-monogamy history of consensual non-monogamy etc cetera, etc cetera. so out of 12 questions those with adhd taking gender into account rated themselves higher on 10 of them. So on 10 out of 12, those with ADHD rated higher and they tied on the other two. Okay. So, so I think that that's pretty clear. Um, and in some of the cases it was really clear, you know, if you look at, you compare the answers. So,
1: Oh, I'm I'm really interested in kind of getting into that and, and seeing what uh what we ranked higher on um and what was the same. But let's uh, let's take a quick break, and when we uh, come back, we will dive right in and um, figure out what those differences are. We will be right back. Jessica McCabe from How To ADHD is joining me today, Tuesday, September 24th at 3 p.m. Central for our monthly action coaching group for patrons who give $25 a month or more. Jessica, besides from hosting an awesome ADHD YouTube channel, How To ADHD, she's also a trained peer mentor and I've asked her to join me as a co-coach to help me help patrons with whatever challenges life happens to be throwing at you this month. If you can't make it, we do record the audio for those sessions, and it's available as a perk to patrons starting at a $10 a month level. But the real reason to become a patron is because you count on ADHD rewired week after week, month after month, year after year. Podcasts are free to you, but they're not free to produce. As a small business owner with ADHD, I can't do everything, and I'll be the first to tell you... I need all the help that I can get. Producing a weekly podcast, managing the Facebook community, and hosting the live Q&As each month are just a few of the things that we do at no cost to you, the listener. There's so much more that I want to do, but I need your help to do it. If you've been a longtime listener, please consider showing your support by becoming a monthly patron today over at ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. And I want to thank Patrick M. and Rastilov B. who became patrons this week. And I want to give a special thanks to all of our patrons who generously give $25 a month or more. Those patrons are Justin, Tina, Rob, Pat, Aggie, John, Kate, Will, Miley, and Joshua. I want to thank all of you for your generous support and really all of our 167 patrons who give somewhere between $1 a month and $50 a month. Thank you. Whether you can give $1 or $100 a month, if you're in a place where you can offer your financial support, every bit helps and all amounts are appreciated and welcomed. Become more than just a listener. Become a patron today. Go to ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. That's ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. And thanks. All right, we are back with Ari Tuckman, and we are talking sex, intimacy, and ADHD. So, these twelve uh, categories that you, you studied—ten out of twelve—there was definite, noticeable differences between ADHD and non-ADHD. Yep. Let's dive in.
0: Okay. So first of all, I'm I'm gratified to see that you're so eager about this data on sexual eagerness. So, um, so you know, I think what it speaks to so this is my theory. Like I can, I don't have research that's going to back this up. Mm-hmm. Nobody does at this point, but here's my theory of why are people with ADHD seemingly rather convincingly more sexually eager. And my theory of it is it kind of comes back to Russell Barkley's response inhibition theory in that just as folks with ADHD are more influenced by the world around them, meaning the stimuli, meaning sometimes distractions, um, as well as, you know, the world inside. So we can all be distracted by our own sort of thoughts and feelings. I think that folks with ADHD are simply more influenced by the sexual stimuli in the world around them and inside their own head. And that they pick up on those sexual signals and they are more influenced by them. They feel them more strongly. And therefore, they are sometimes, you know, more interested, therefore, in acting on those feelings more often. So um, which I think is incredibly interesting. I think in some ways it it does sort of support, we can say this data set supports the response inhibition theory um, yet. And not that Russell Barkley needs my support or help in anything, but you know, nonetheless it it aligns. Um, And, you know, so on the one hand, that's just a thing, like, that's just sort of an observation now Is it good or bad? You know, people like to put value judgments on stuff. I think the answer is both, you know. So when the couple's sex life is going well, it's a very good thing. And I think that, you know, because there's such positive connection and benefits of good sexual experiences together, it can be a real benefit to the relationship. And certainly in long-term relationships, it's very easy for sex to kind of drop off the radar. So having somebody who's, you know, kind of, eager and interested is important. You know, like that provides a good positive benefit to the relationship. Now the bad side of it or the problematic side of it is when there's too big of a desire discrepancy. One person wants a lot more one person wants a lot less. And how do we bridge the differences, which is true about sex, but it's frankly also true about how often should we go out to eat? um, How often do we need a new TV? How often, whatever, you know, any discrepancy there's going to give you more to argue over. There's a bigger, you know, difference to to bridge. Um, But certainly in terms of couples, desire discrepancies can really be um, a thorny wrestling match.
1: So I'm wondering too, for, for, uh, people who maybe are, they're not married, um, maybe they're dating and, you know, it's, I think for, for a lot of uh, people who are married, they may, you know, uh, have these, these, um, conversations with their, their partner or even just their own thoughts saying, if I would have known, you know, if if I I knew now what I, what what am I trying to say? Yeah.
0: If I, if I knew them when I know That's now. That's exactly
1: what I was trying to say. Um, like, if you have known that <laughs> saying before, then. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. So, like, for someone who's, like, seeking a partner and they're, and they're maybe, they're, they're in, beginning in a romantic relationship. What considerations, um, because sex is a really important part of a healthy relationship. What considerations should, uh, you know, a person that is beginning a relationship or is considering, should I take this relationship to the next level Um, based on what your studies are showing? um, What should they be considering?
0: So I think it, I think it falls into the general category of know yourself well in terms of who you are and how you tend to be in a relationship, but also in terms of what are you looking for in a good partner? and you know like when we meet somebody new and you know if there's some eye towards the future not just hooking up tonight but if there's an eye towards the future like you're kind of feeling them out a bit you know in the sense of who is this person do our values align do we want similar things are we compatible what about our differences how different are they i mean there's always always going to be differences between any two people same gender or different genders um But, you know, you got to be able to sort of work out, negotiate out those differences. And if just to sort of really use a simple example, if you're someone with a pretty high sex drive and you meet you're beginning to date someone who generally tends to have a pretty low sex drive, that's going to be a topic that's going to be. That you're going to have to address. So let's put it that way. Um, but it's kind of the same. If one of you is a big spender and the other is a big saver, that's going to be a thing. If one of you is really neat and orderly and planful, and the other one is, uh, you know, less orderly and less planful, that's going to be a thing. So you know, it just it, it's just part of that. But I think that it becomes because sex is so important, and also unfortunately, because people tend not to talk enough about sex, especially in the beginning, um, it's easy to not address it. And then later it blows up on you. And with a little bit of looking back, you could see like, Oh yeah, I probably should have known that. So, so talk about it.
1: What about, uh, uh, some of the other categories you talked about was, uh, masturbation, kink, Mm -hmm. um, uh, And sensual monogamy. Um, What? Spell out some of the differences.
0: So, in terms of masturbation, um, those with ADHD. So, the guys with ADHD masturbated a bit more than the guys without. um, But I think the bigger difference was between was with the women. So, the women with ADHD masturbated more often than the women without. Um, And you know what was as a sort of unrelated finding, you know, that I sort of sussed out of the data, was that the if you look at how often do men have partnered sexual activities, plus how often do they have solo sexual activities, it equals almost exactly their desired sexual frequency. Hmm. So I asked people, how often would you like to have sex? And I should specify with their partner. Um, And basically what it shows in a rough by the numbers kind of a way is that for men often masturbation is a way of making up for the sex they're not having with their partner. Interesting. But for the women, it really fell short. So their actual, their partner sexual activities plus their solo activities, which were much lower than for the guys didn't even come close. I think they, they made up, I think they missed the total by like a third. So um, now I don't know if that reflects the fact that it's, easier for guys to sort of rub one out on the, on the sly. I don't know if it's um, that for guys, masturbating is much more acceptable. And for some women, there's much more of a, this sort of spoken or unspoken thing against it. I don't know if it's just for some guys, it's easier. It's like to just sort of do it. Whereas for some women, it needs to be a little bit more of a production, but that's not always true that it just sort of becomes, it's just harder to kind of make it happen. Um, But you know, but one of the things that sort of came out, like, was that the amount of sex that people would like to have versus the amount that they're having, most people would like to have really a fair bit more sex. So, you know, people are generally having about, I don't know, having sex about once a week, a little bit more. Um, and most people would like to have sex like two to four times a week.
1: So. And when you say most people, you say people with ADHD would like to have it two to four times within a week. And without. Okay. okay. And without. So, you know, so the two to four, I think is that
0: like the non-ADHD women would like to have sex twice a week, give or take. And then ADHD men were on the higher end. They'd like to have sex four times a week. So, um, but it's a, you know, it's a fair bit more than people are having. So I think then the question becomes for you and your partner, how do, you, how do you make it happen? Like So let's identify what's getting in the way. Like We both want more of, of this. How do we make it happen? What are the things we can do that are going to be helpful? What are the things to not do that are unhelpful?
1: You know, Ari, I don't think there's ever been a time that would have been appropriate for me to tell a joke, a particular joke that I want to tell right now. Yeah. You know, you know, why, uh, you know why, uh, why masturbation is a lot like procrastination?
0: Ooh, I, I don't know, but this is going to be good. I can tell.
1: Cause you realize you just fucking yourself in the end.
0: Uh, <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, but that reminds me of a term that I won't say who I heard it from, but I don't think it's original, but the term of procrastinating, <laughs> you know, it's this thing of like, ugh, I don't really feel like doing that thing I'm supposed to do. But here's this fun thing I can do. This is way more interesting. And it is, you know, like, let's be honest. Um, So, you know, what place does masturbation play in a healthy sex life? On the one hand, it's definitely a part, you know, and if your partner is not available, it can be an easy way to still have some fun yourself. Um, And frankly, being the sole You know, conduit of your partner's sexuality can be, you know, much more of a curse than a blessing, or much more of a curse than an honor. Um, And yet, you shouldn't be masturbating so much that you're then less available and interested in doing things with your partner.
1: Did the research show at all? Because I've had a few uh, a few clients that uh, um, had shared this with me that sometimes when they are uh, procrastinating to do something that they've they said that masturbation helps them sort of activate to get themselves yeah. to do the thing. D- did, um, did any of research look into that at all? So unfortunately I can't,
0: I don't have any specific questions that sort of went to that, but I totally believe it. Like I, I, I would say that. Yeah. Like I, I probably would have guessed that. Um, and I think it totally makes sense. And, you know, on the one hand, if it works, Whatever. I mean, as long as you're not taking two hours. Are you saying
1: th- on the one hand, when we're talking about masturbation, the right, right. phrase? Right. That that is true. I should have <laughs> taken more medication today. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, what about kink behavior?
0: Yeah. So you know, I mean, first of all, kink means a lot of things to a lot of people. So you know, what exactly it means depends on who you ask. But um you know, there's sort of standard vanilla sexual practices as it's sometimes called. Um, But of course, again, that depends on who you ask and you know, what is considered standard sexual behavior evolves over time. So, you know, there's a lot of states where believe it or not, oral sex is still illegal. Which is sort of crazy. Um, And yet, you know, it reflects the fact that there was a time in our history not that long ago where that thing, which is totally common now, was seen as somehow really problematic. And I think Mm -hmm. that what it speaks to is as much as we individually have very strong opinions about what is right or wrong about sex, really, it's just preferences about you know, here is what I like and here is what I think is okay. But that doesn't mean that you're going to feel the same way. So, um, but but your
1: research did show that people with ADHD have a higher desire to engage in kink related sex.
0: It seems that way. Yeah. That they, like I said, they rated themselves as kinkier. And I think, you know, my theory on it is that there's a greater intensity that comes from kinkier activities. And certainly physiologically, it absolutely can. Um, but even, but maybe more importantly, psychologically, it does.
1: I mean, it makes sense. I mean, we we tend to be people who like to push the limits. And, you know, it's like, see, it's 50, so 85 is good. You know, right. it's uh, how. How much further can I take this uh, this goal, or um, you know, the extreme sports, or high, you know, engaging in high risk behaviors? Uh, so it does sort of make sense to to uh, for for the desirability of of sort of pushing the the bounds of uh, what is vanilla per se. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the the bottom line is, we like it with sprinkles. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a bumper sticker or a t-shirt or something. I really hope that my wife never listens to this episode. Um, (laughs) I think she stopped listening after the first year. She couldn't keep up with it. Right. Um, I'm done. (laughs) She's like, I I hear it all from you anyways. I I don't don't need to listen to more of you. Um, Right. What about, uh, you said consensual non-monogamy. Right. Talk to me about that.
0: So consensual non-monogamy, first of all, is a very broad term, and it encompasses basically any sexual, physical sexual activity and or romantic activity that doesn't involve strictly your partner. So, you know, standard monogamy, meaning two people, Mm -hmm. Um, consensual non-monogamy. Now, the key word here is consensual, meaning we both agree. Um, Cheating is non-consensual non-monogamy meaning your partner thinks you're faithful but you're not um so this involves so consensual non-monogamy could involve things like having a threesome or maybe swinging with another couple so the two couples you know switch partners um and that's a purely physical sexual kind of a thing
1: how common is that
0: um so on the one hand you know it's hard to say um but it's it is more common than most people think. And, you know, the level of interest in it in the last five or 10 years has certainly been increasing. At least if you judge by things like Google search metrics in um, the number of books and articles and things like that on it. So, um, so it's, it's definitely appealing as a, as a concept, you know, for many people um, there's also, I should add this in, there's also more of this sort of polyamorous side of things which is more about the sort of romantic relational aspect. so having more than one partner could involve
1: sex often does but not necessarily you know i I would just i have to imagine that that would add to just the complication because now you're not just dealing with communication issues between two people you're dealing with communication issues between three people and or more or more right and while like the idea of it is intriguing the practicality of it sounds really hard
0: right so you know there's a joke in in the sort of sex therapy field that um people who are in polyamorous relationships really what they have is a communication fetish (laughs) right because it's like absolutely i mean you know it i don't think it's sort of a multiplier effect i think it's an exponential effect that it gives you so much more to talk about. And, you know, so my, my take on this is that on the one hand, I think for folks with ADHD, perhaps a bit more than those without there, there may be a greater desire a greater interest in it based on sort of novelty and stimulation. And, you know, it's kind of like the kink thing, like there's greater intensity there. Um, and yet at the same time, it to do consensual non-monogamy well, you really got to do a lot of things in the relationship well. And that means communicating, talking things through, being able to be consistent. So if we agree, this is the line, is that actually where the line stays when, you know, things start heating up? Um, Are we able to communicate in calm and reasonable ways? So do we manage our emotions in these potentially very heated conversations? So, you know, so it's, It's definitely a double-edged sword. And as much as there are definitely couples where consensual non-monogamy blows the relationship up in a ball of flame, Mm -hmm. there are also couples who really sort of swear by it as, you know what, if we were not doing these other things, we wouldn't still be together in that doing these other things with other people isn't just about going over there and having some fun separately. It heightens and improves our relationship together. So
1: I was reading some stuff on, on uh, this and one of the, uh, the things in the article that I was reading talked about how, um, uh, like when is, when is it a healthy time to potentially introduce a third person into the relationship? And when are you just setting the relationship on fire? Mm-hmm. Um, and if the relationship is struggling and you think that adding a third person is going to be the thing that helps, like that's going to be, you're bringing a bomb into the relationship. Right. Right. Um, so that was a really, a really interesting point. Uh, Cause like, Oh, if the, if the sex in the in the relationship is not well and other things also aren't going well, like, adding a third person is the last thing you want to do. Like right. get, your, get your relationship on a solid footing before doing that.
0: Right. And that's, and that's really, I think the big picture is whether it involves somebody else or not, ultimately it all comes down to really being able to do the work on yourself to be the best partner you can be, but also doing the work with your partner to kind of challenge them to be the best partner they can be to allow them to challenge you and to really be able to talk it through and be honest, to be able to kind of navigate the differences, to be able to sort through what are we going to do here on the stuff? That's not easy choices. It's not like, what movie should we watch this weekend? It's, you know, big, Things and you know, for couples with ADHD, especially if you kind of go with the stereotype of, you know, the guy with ADHD who's one kind of a way and the woman without ADHD who is another kind of a way. And how do they sort of bridge the difference where they can appreciate what the other person brings that's different and. And some of it's just like, I think that's ridiculous and crazy, but whatever. I love all the rest of you. So I'll live with it. Um, and to be able to deal with stuff without getting either d- defensive or offensive. Um, so, you know, in some ways, having one partner with ADHD, it, it just exacerbates the universal struggle that any other couple is going to have to deal with. But it really has the potential, if you do the work, to make both of you much better off and that's gonna show up in your sex life. And, you know, therefore the couples who do choose, I'm gonna bring this back around here, do choose some sort of consensual non-monogamy. If they've really done the work, then it can be a, you know, a, a reasonable possibility. But if they haven't done the work, it's guaranteed disaster.
1: We know that ADHD, uh, one of the core components of it is impulsivity. So uh-huh. I wanted to find out uh, what your research showed on um, the non-consensual non- yes. uh, monogamy and um, if it explored sexual addiction um, and maybe compulsive masturbation. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but before we get into that, I want to take one more quick break and then we will be right back. Turn good intention into amazing actions with the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group. This virtual video-based group coaching program meets three times a week. Improve your productivity, develop better habits, experience the true power of supportive accountability from members of our own tribe. Learn, grow, and connect. Learn more at ADHDRewired.com. I hope to see you there That's ADHDRewired.com and prepare to get your ADHD rewired. And to get notified when registration dates and session dates are announced for our winter session, go to coachingrewired.com and click on the purple button and add your name to the list and we will send you information as soon as we have it. That's coachingrewired.com. October is ADHD Awareness Month, and we got a couple of things that I want you to know about. First, the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network is growing with a new podcast, Hacking Your ADHD with Will Kerb. It's scheduled to launch on October 7th. We will be simulcasting the first two episodes on the ADHD Rewired Podcast feed as soon as we have them. And then if you like what you hear, you can subscribe to Hacking Your ADHD with Will Kerb. And I've invited Will to join me and Brendan Mahan for our monthly live Q&A on Tuesday, October 8th at 12.30 p.m. Central. To register for that, go to ADHDrewired.com slash events. That's ADHDrewired.com slash events. And if you're a man with ADHD or you're with a man with ADHD, the second annual On the Right ADHD Trail is October 11th through 14th, hosted by my colleague, Kathy Gett of Get Coaching. Get is G-O-E-T-T. Kathy has invited myself and 12 other ADHD experts to talk about men's issues around ADHD. I'll be talking about why ignoring that urgent matter may be critical to achieving your goals. Each speaker is giving away a free gift to help you improve your relationships, your career, and more. Many of the speakers have appeared here on the podcast. Check out on the right ADHD to sign up. That's on the right ADHD We are back and um, so right before the break, I asked you about um, connecting impulsivity and ADHD. Yep. to the behaviors related to sex that you know, when you apply impulsivity to it, can uh, you know lead to some unintended outcomes or consequences.
0: Yes, indeed. So, um, so yeah, so I did, I had two questions related to this in the survey. Um, in one of them, I asked the question of, um, have you ever engaged in physical sexual activity with another partner, um, you know, without your partner's consent and, you know, whatever. So, so on the one hand, this was not about this current relationship. It meant any time in your life, and it was really about physical. So let's call it a hookup. Um, I asked a separate question: Have you ever engaged in an emotional infidelity without your partner's awareness? You know, blah blah blah. Hmm. So more of kind of like an emotional affair. And the thing is, the as far as I'm concerned, these are two very different things that people do. So if you ask the question, have you ever cheated on your partner? Like, I don't know. What the hell does that mean? You know, does that mean I had sex with someone and, and a romantic emotional affair for a year? Or does that mean that I looked at porn once? Right. Cause according to some partners looking at porn is cheating. Right. Or I talked to, you know, that woman on the plane with me for two hours and I shared some stuff about a relationship. Is that cheating? I don't know. Hmm. Depends who you ask, right? So, so I think if you're going to look at stats on cheating or infidelity, you really need to define terms. But what I found was that. Indeed, the folks with ADHD were more likely than the folks without on both counts. Um, And there was a gender split. So the guys with ADHD were more likely to have engaged in more of the hookup kinds of infidelity. And the women with ADHD were more likely to have engaged in more sort of emotional affair kinds of infidelity. Um, So, you know, just another good reason to be having this conversation and for the work that I'm doing in this area, because, you know, infidelity can be incredibly destructive. So, you know, my hope is that people deal with stuff before they get to that point. Um, So impulsivity absolutely can play a role. So, you know, like the cliche of like the drunken hookup you know like that's a pretty impulsive thing it probably wasn't premeditated maybe it was but often not um but even But also, you know, sort of impulsivity on the emotional side of sort of impulsively saying a bit more than you might otherwise say, losing track of time, forgetting actually how many Facebook messages have you sent with this person, um, you know, losing track a bit of how much time and attention are you giving your partner? And it's just sort of without necessarily a specific intent, people sort of find themselves there Hmm. now. Absolutely. There are people who, in a premeditated specific intent way, put themselves there. So I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but that these are not entirely the same process. And I think you need to use different means of preventing them.
1: Um, What about the sexual addiction and and porn addiction and compulsive masturbation and those kinds of things?
0: So, all right, I'm really glad that you're asking this because, first of all, I, I'm not a proponent of sex addiction actually being a thing or porn addiction really being a thing. Like, So porn and sex are not addictive in the way that alcohol or, you know, painkillers are. Okay. And there's a lot of pretty well, really bogus kind of pseudoscience stuff that's used to sort of prove how sex and porn are addictive and all this stuff. And there's a lot of people who have a very strong anti-porn, pretty sex negative agenda, you know, who also sort of, you know, cite all sorts of rather flimsy statistics about Hmm. how destructive it is. Now, that's not to say that there aren't people who make terrible choices about sex. I mean, there are people who masturbate at work and get fired. I think we can all agree, like, that's a problem. Um, But, you know, is that because they're addicted to porn? No, they're just making terrible decisions and maybe they're treating anxiety or depression. Maybe they're looking at porn because they're, it's easier than dealing with the relationship issues with their partner. Um, So, you know, I think that to label something an addiction in this case, isn't helpful in terms of how do you make it better in a sustainable way? So, I think that folks with ADHD are more likely to spend more time looking at porn, sometimes from a more sort of impulsive thing, impulsive way of I'm feeling bored. It's like we were talking about before. I'm feeling bored. I guess I'm going to go look at porn and masturbate because that's better than doing my expense report. Um, they're more likely to look at porn if things are not going well in their sex life and relationship with their partner. Um, I think there's also sometimes some losing track of time, just as people with ADHD lose track of time doing all sorts of other stuff. It's certainly easy to lose track of time, clicking around a bunch of crappy porn to try to find something interesting right so you know you so, sound
1: very judgmental about the, the type of porn that you're uh, well, referring to.
0: <laughs> i'm judgmental about the fact that like any mass media there's a lot of garbage out there you know which is not about porn it's about mass i'm really criticizing mass media that's who i'm being judgmental <laughs> about but but whatever like each of their own if you like it i'm not going to judge so um but you know i think that If someone is spending too much time looking at porn, I think especially if they have ADHD, my recommendation is let's begin by looking through the lens of ADHD. Is this a time management problem? Is this an
1: impulsivity problem? Hmm. Is this a serious like don't make it bigger than it is?
0: right right and the reason is if you start looking at it through the porn lens you might be missing the much more obvious causes and the much more better sort of levers to pull in terms of points of intervention so i wouldn't send someone to a 12-step group for porn addiction because they spend too much time looking at porn i might if they have adhd i might think talk to them more like is this really about the fact you're avoiding your work Are you bored at work? Do you need something better to do? Or, you know, what's going on with your wife or your husband or whatever that you're not dealing with stuff with them. Um, so so I think that that lens is a much more productive one. Um, and then if they are someone who truly is using porn or sex in a very problematic way, or they're having multiple affairs or multiple infidelities, like, yeah, we definitely need to take a look at it. I just don't think that calling it addiction is the right lens to look at it
1: through. It sounds like you're saying that, that, uh, generally speaking, uh, there's a, there- we're too quick to sort of throw that label on the behavior. Right. Okay. Right.
0: Yeah. And I think that the problem with calling it a porn addiction is that it, it, it kind of cuts both ways. Cause on the one hand, it's an excuse for, for personal choices. I'm not making bad choices about porn. I'm addicted. Right. So it can let people off the hook, but I think also it's potentially a really sort of like shaming judgmental kind of a thing that, that takes the person's power away, you know, rather than saying like, you know what, you have choices about what you do and what you look at. And sometimes the decision to make is to say, you know what, I need to do less of this, or I need to, I don't, I don't actually feel comfortable with these kinds of porn. I sometimes look at, I think I need to not look, look at that stuff, but sometimes it's really more a matter of acceptance. And a lot of times when people self-identify as a porn addict, it's actually not related. Self-identification of porn addiction of severity, of porn addiction is not related to frequency of porn use. It is much more related to conservative values. Hmm. So people who look at porn once or twice a month but feel really bad about it will call themselves a porn addict people look at porn every day but feel totally fine about it will not call themselves a porn addict Interesting. and it's not because they're in denial it's because they don't freaking care you know (laughs) so so sometimes it's a matter of being more okay with the types of what sexual material turns you on and sometimes it's a matter of making different choices about certain things so like for example like without sounding too whatever, like I don't shop at Walmart because I don't support their policies towards workers. I don't support the laws that they, um, you know, lobby for now. That's not, Obviously Walmart has nothing to do with porn, but I don't, I don't like it, you know, but similarly, there are certain kinds of porn that I wouldn't feel comfortable with because I don't support w- what's behind it. Even if I don't care about the acts themselves or something, you know, so I think you need to have a more nuanced conversation about these things sometimes.
1: Hmm. Um, I know we're getting short on time here. Um, your research uh, only addressed uh, heterosexual uh, couples, correct?
0: So yes and no. So, um, I did in the survey, I did make it open to folks in same sex couples. So I did get some responses okay. from them in terms of the book. I, you know, the problem was I didn't get enough same sex couples to be able to do any meaningful analysis. So if you have too small a sample size, you really can't say right, any data.
1: Right. Any plans to, uh, to try to, uh, explore that area.
0: You know, not for me at the moment, because I'm I'm sort of doing there's enough else to be done. Sure. But having said that, if somebody listening wants to do it, I will share everything I got. I'll give you my survey. I'll talk to you about the analysis. Like I will hook you up if you want to be the one to do it.
1: I, I do think that we have a pretty large GLBTQ uh, representation in my community. Um, and so I think there would be a, an interest uh, in that. Um if we can maybe end, if you can give uh, maybe give us five tips that men or women uh, with ADHD um, can, can apply to their lives in their relationships to have more sex, what would they be?
0: Okay. So first one I'm going to say is one of the things that came out in the data was those folks who felt that their partner put in more effort on managing ADHD, meaning their ADHD, their partner's ADHD that had 60% more sex than the folks who felt their partner put in the least mm. 60%. That's a lot. So that's like lot. 92 versus 55, you will absolutely feel the difference between 92 and 55 times a year. So, um, so I think what it reflects is a feeling of, having a good partner, like you were doing your part in our relationship. Now, of course, I know I'm doing my part because, you know, I'm pretty awesome, but, but <laughs> I don't, I don't give you the same credit that I give myself. Right. So it's a, some, to some degree, it's the perception. So related to that, and I'm going to count this as tip number two, because he gave me five. Um, so tip number two is if you don't feel like your partner is putting in enough effort, talk to them about it not in an angry judgmental. It might be a, Hey, you might be doing some things I'm not seeing and want to make sure you're going to get credit for everything you're doing. So let me know what you're doing.
1: Now, is that the, for the the person with ADHD? Either one. Okay. Either one. Okay.
0: Because if one person in a couple has anything, it's going to affect both of them. So like my wife is gluten-free mostly. Like that affects me, you know, like, it affects me because that somewhat affects the food we have in the house and it affects me because when she eats and it gets a migraine, she's not as much fun to be with. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so everything about one partner is going to affect the other. Sometimes it's ADHD. Sometimes it's lots of other stuff. So that's tip number two, tip number three. And we know this, you don't have to read my survey to know this, but treatment for ADHD works and those who put in the effort, it works better. So that means not just go to your GP, get some starter dose of medication and stop there, but really put in the effort, educate yourself, work on lifestyle matters like sleep, diet and exercise, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, you know, tip number three is to manage the ADHD. Tip number four, and I'm just winging this. So Lord knows what number I'm going to come to. Um, Tip number four is it is super easy to make ADHD the scapegoat if not for your ADHD, boy, would we be happy. And it's not to say that ADHD doesn't play some part, but it is by no means the only part of the relationship. And the non ADHD partner has their part to play as well in terms of, you know, looking at what are their expectations? What are their preferences? And where I see couples really get jammed up is when the non ADHD partner takes their opinions and preferences as somehow like spoken from the divine as the right way. You know, like this is the way good people behave and you're behaving differently. So sometimes you need to be flexible in any relationship, not only with what gets done, but how it gets done so you know so both partners have their part to play and adhd just exacerbates this universal you know negotiation that every couple has to do and then number five i'll end on this is sex is important like it is an important part of good relationships now that doesn't mean you have to have sex every day and for some people having sex once or twice a month is all it takes, but it's good. They both want to be there, and it feels like the right amount. So it's not more is better. It's that better is better, you know. So whatever better means, in that to keep your sex life good, especially in a long term relationship, you need to be able to get along well outside of bed, but you need to be able to. Really invest in your sex life, make the time for it to happen, and have some of those really honest conversations about here 's what makes sex really good for me or here's here 's something new and interesting that I would actually kind of be down for trying if you would be okay with it, and to be able to have those sometimes very difficult, vulnerable conversations so that you don 't wind up with as you know Robin Williams had this awesome line twenty years ago, and I still love it, where he said you know, I don't understand this big deal about same sex marriage. Cause like anybody who's been married for a while knows it's all the same sex anyway. <laughs> right. So like, that's what you don't want is right. the same
1: boring, repetitive sex. Like yeah, a boring is painful with ADHD.
0: Yeah, exactly. So you know, a bit of innovation and variety, I think is a good thing.
1: And Ari, if I could just add a sixth to the list, uh, mm-hmm. and that would be to uh, go out and buy the book ADHD after dark, better sex life, better relationships by Ari Tuckman. Awesome. Ari! Thank you so much for coming on. This is always fun. And, uh, I wish you the best of luck with, uh, the success of your book. Leave, leave kind reviews on Amazon. Um, when you go get that book, um, because it makes Ari feel good. Right. And that's the, that's the goal of our mission here is to make our feel good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm looking forward to seeing you at Chad. Do you have 30 seconds of what you can uh, give a, give a quick yeah. uh, pitch for the Chad conference?
0: Yeah. So this year, um, so the conference moves around every year this year, we're going to be in Philly, November 7th to the 9th. And as, as for the last couple of years, we're partnering with ADA and ACO, the ADHD coaches organization. So it's kind of like the, the super conference. Uh, and it's going to it's going to be better than I mean, every year is better than last year because we're like adding new things and we're fine tuning and, and all. But this is a place where if you have any interest in ADHD as, as a clinician, as someone who has ADHD or a family member with ADHD, this is the place to be. I'll be speaking. Lots of other awesome people are going to be speaking. Lots of other cool stuff going on. So
1: um, go to
0: Chad dot org
1: and uh, you can check it out. Thank you so much at chadd.org and
0: your website is adultadhdbook.com which now has a whole nother meaning now that I've written a book on sex.
1: All right thank you so much for uh, for coming on and I'll uh, look forward to seeing you in November. Awesome should be good. This is Eric Tivers. Thank you for listening and congratulations for making it to the end. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. The website is ADHDrewired.com. You can find summaries and additional resources for each episode. You can apply to our free and secret Facebook community. You can learn more about ADHD Rewired's intensive online video-based coaching and accountability groups and sign up for my email Newsletter to get exclusive content you won't get anywhere else. It's all at ADHDrewired.com. While you're there, click the Patreon button. If you're a regular listener and you're still listening to my voice, consider making a monthly contribution by becoming a patron through our Patreon page. If you are able to financially support my work, it would mean a lot. This show is free to listeners, but it is not free to produce. And patrons get really cool perks. You can follow me on Twitter, at Eric Tibbers you can like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash ADHD rewired if you're a coach therapist or related professional connect with me on LinkedIn at LinkedIn.com slash Eric Tivers. you can also subscribe to ADHD rewired on YouTube and you can subscribe to ADHD rewired on YouTube and see select interviews and some other videos I've posted podcasts change lives You can make a difference in someone's life by spreading the word about this podcast. Mention it in your online communities on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, or wherever you hang out online. And be sure to share it with your friends and your family and your clients, as well as your coaches, therapists, and doctors. And if you're a coach, therapist, doctor, or ADHD support group leader, and you would like a pack of podcast postcards to hand out, you can request those at my website ADHDrewired.com. And if you're a member of Chad or any other ADSG support group, please be sure to tell them about this podcast. You can even show them how to download it on their phone. You know, you might be the person that turns somebody on, to a podcast for the very first time. And if you really love this episode, please consider hitting share on your podcast player. I'm only one person and I count on you to help me spread the message. One of the biggest things that you can do to support this podcast and to help other people discover it is to leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any other podcast app that accepts ratings and reviews. And don't forget to hit subscribe on this podcast on your podcast app so new episodes episodes are automagically pushed to your favorite podcast app looking for more ways to listen and learn get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash adhd rewired not sure where to start in no particular order check out atomic habits by james clear the body keeps score by bessel von der kolk 10% Happier, and Meditation for frigidity Skeptics. These are both by Dan Harris. Change Your Questions and Change Your Life by Marilee G. Adams. The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. Procrastinate on Purpose by Rory Vaden. The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. Do you have trouble asking for help? Listen to The Art of Asking by Amanda Palmer. It's one of the best produced audiobooks I've ever heard. If you're looking for something a little bit more, say, magical, I unexpectedly fell in love with the Harry Potter series. And I don't usually listen to those kinds of books. And I loved it. And of course, if you haven't yet boarded the Brene Brown bus yet, check out Brene Brown's books, starting with The Gifts of Imperfection, Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, The Power of Vulnerability, and if you're an entrepreneur or a leader in any capacity, check out her 2018 book, Dare to Lead. And Brene still is my most wanted guest. So if you know Brene, Brene would be so kind to make that connection for me. I would be really, really grateful. You know who else I would like to have on the show? You. Click the podcast tab at ADHDrewired.com. And then click the Be a Guest button at the top of that page and schedule a 15-minute pre interview this is eric tiggers reminding you to keep learning keep growing and keep connecting self-care is not selfish and no matter what gets done or doesn't get done at the end of the day you are still enough and no matter how hard it feels we can do our things thanks for listening i'll catch you next week